This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. You're listening to the Go Birds Pod, a radio.com podcast about your beloved birds. There is rumors among rumors among rumors down at the owner's meeting. Not really, but there are some that we need to get to. Doug and the rest of the organization really praising Carson Wentz. We get to know why he is, or needs to be, I should say, a better teammate. It's John Barton along with Ellie Shore Parks down in Phoenix, Arizona, where if you find him down there, he will not be carrying a wallet in his pocket. He's staying true to his take there. I still think that's the weirdest thing ever, but we love him nonetheless. Elliot, what's going on, man? How are you? I just don't get why you would want a wallet in your pocket. Like, it's <laughs> uncomfortable. It sticks out. Like, I feel like just either have your girlfriend hold it, and if she's not there, you just got to bite the bullet My and hold goodness. it as you walk around. You have your girlfriend hold it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable take <laughs> from Elliot Short Parks. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, well, first of all, what's your uh, biggest impressions down there? We'll get to Eagle stuff, but just league-wide things. Like, what is the, what's the biggest thing you notice uh, at owners' meetings? Uh, just a lot of Bloody Mary drinking or, or a lot of, you know, the harsh discussions going on about the rule book or whatever? Or what's, what's happening down there? So I would say my biggest takeaway, and I've certainly been critical of Howie in the past, so this isn't just, you know, joining Eagles Twitter and praising everything Howie does, but my biggest takeaway is Eagles fans should feel very lucky that they have the trio of Doug, Howie, and Larry running the show because you look around at some of the other decision makers around the league and, like, some of the other head coaches, and there is just not a lot of talented guys running teams. I mean, like, you look like there's some young up-and-coming people. There's obviously some established people. But when you listen to Howie talk and you listen to Larry talk, and then Doug to a certain degree, although he talks about you know different kinds of things, but when you listen to the way Howie and Jeffrey talk about the way they make decisions and how they allocate resources and just the levels of thought that goes into every decision, it's just it's extremely impressive, and that's the feeling you get when you talk to people around the league at events like this. That the Eagles are in many ways like viewed as viewed as as one of the more impressive front offices and i think that starts with larry because of his mindset but also obviously how he deserves credit but again like 
you know, you see you see Dave Gettleman walking around, and you see like guys like that, and you're like, man, like if you know if, if the Eagles fan should feel very happy that uh, you know when it comes to league wide decision makers and stuff like that, that they have this trio kind of running the show. And I don't think Gettleman even addressed the local beat reporters down there either. No. He just went on the NFL Network, I think, today and didn't even talk to the press there. So tells you a lot about, well, again, that organization, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there is there is a lot of dumb things that are going on, and even just listening to, you know, like the Arizona Cardinals press conference and, you know, and Cliff being there and everybody's making a big story about the stupid cell phone breaks and all that. It's just that it's maddening, and you don't have that with the Eagles. Everything was you know, clear and concise. And let's start with Doug because he gave you an hour yesterday and I thought, um, you know, a lot of people said it was boring and whatever, but I actually thought they he gave you a lot of good tidbits um, throughout uh, kind of the conversation there. And uh, the biggest takeaway, everybody that was, you know, mentioning it is just like he he got into this thing about, you know, Carson, how does Carson being, uh, you know, should be a better teammate, I think, Sal Pal. Uh, was the one that was ans- asking the question, yeah. and he basically came in and said, "Well, first of all, I think everybody can be a better teammate. I can be a better coach um, to the team. You know, I think being a better teammate would just be, you know, being maybe a little more, uh, sometimes being a little more vulnerable. You know, being a little more accessible. You know, you're, you're obviously committed to your craft and developing your skill, but you know, you, you, it's it's like you want to walk across the aisle and, and talk to, you know, talk to the other side, and and, that, and that's all part of a, of a maturation process and a growth process, and you know, it's something that." You learn through time. I, I, I interpreted all of that of Carson was rehabbing, focusing on getting back on the field, wanted to make sure that he was you know ready to rock and roll week three, week four, whatever, and that took away from connecting with teammates. And you know, I always hate going back to that Philly Voice article, but that's probably why some of those things end up coming out. What did you make of uh, those comments, Elliot? Well, the Philly Voice article is definitely why all this is coming out, yeah, right? right? I mean, if that article is never written, we'd never talk about it. Right. Unless, you know, unless it's written somewhere else or something like that. So th- th- that's the whole reason it's being asked. But uh, I will say, I thought Doug's answer was extremely revealing. Um, I thought, you know, using words like vulnerable and like needs to be more approachable might sound kind of like soft insults. You know, like I think like, if me or you or anybody was talking about a friend and said, I wish they were just a little more approachable, I don't think anyone would be like, oh, wow, he really came at him. But I think when you, when you talk about how coaches talk about their players at press conferences, you very rarely hear them bring up like an actual character flaw. And maybe that's too strong of a word for what Doug was talking about, but you don't really hear them say anything negative at all, right? And I think so him coming out and saying Carson needs to be more approachable and uh, that I thought it, it was extremely telling, and I think there's probably more to that. Um, uh, so I think if you're if you're an Eagles fan, like I'm not saying the Philly Voice article has been completely vindicated. I think that Doug didn't speak about Carson to kind of maybe the length the Philly Voice article went, but it's you know that article was ripped at the time, and I think a lot of it has proven to be some level of true. Uh, and I asked Doug after he after uh, Sal Powell did, because you're right, when, when you re- initially heard Doug, it sounded like, okay, this was, a, this was a last year issue, right? He was rehabbing, he missed all the off-season, all that stuff, right? So I asked Doug, I said, well, is this something you just saw last year, or is this been something that just kind of who Carson is, right? And Doug kind of said a little bit of both. So I think it's partially just who Carson is. I think he needs to maybe come out of his shell a little bit, or at least Doug seems to think that. 
and especially when you compare him to a guy like Nick, who's just so comfortable in his own skin, who's so used to like being in that role. I mean, I know he's never been the guy, but you know, he went to Michigan State, he went to Arizona. These are big time programs. Like he's been on Sports Illustrated before. He's very comfortable in this kind of all attention being on him. Let me lead role. And the more you're around Carson, and I think when you listen to what Doug says, I'm not a hundred percent sure the Eagles feel he's like done it yet. I think he, they believe he has it in him, but I don't know if they think he's stepped completely into like I'm the leader of this whole locker room guy. I think it is. Uh, my my first reaction was he needs to be 28 years old. And and honestly, Nick came into my mind at the same time too, because that's an excellent point you made about Foles being comfortable with his own skin. But he wasn't for a long time because of all the different mm-hmm. situations that he was in. Um, and that's that was he just needs to mature. Like he needs to get just like you said, not only get out of his shell, but just be. I think we don't give enough credit to how shy he actually is, and how you know non-vulnerable he is and how many shields that he does have up because of all those different things and look for him this is this has been a lot of life-changing stuff too not only that you went from uh ndsu which people had to look up and then you kind of put them on the map you were the second overall pick in the nfl you were ranked the third best player amongst your peers however you want to look at that with the nfl you know 100 i know it's kind of bullshit anyway but then there's that then it's like boom in two years you were an MVP candidate, and now, wow, oh, your team won the Super Bowl. All the things we've talked about. Now you won the Super Bowl, now you're injured, now you're injured again, da-da-da-da-da, and you're focusing probably and going back on, like, I got to deal with this pain of myself. I don't want that to pour out into the locker room. I'm just going to focus on me and whatever. I know that's a lot to, like, dig into one comment, but I just kind of relate it to, my, to everybody's life and to Elliot's life and to everybody else's. If you're struggling, and just remember when you were 24, were you that open? Were you that vulnerable? Were you, you know... And, and that just takes a while. It sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's like, just like, forget 24. Like, I'm 31. You know, you're around the same age as me. Like, I appreciate that. Be- I appreciate that. I'm 35, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Right, right. But no, I mean, look, on a much, much smaller scale, right? Like, everyone, honestly, everyone on Twitter in general deals with it, especially in the Eagles Twitter community. But, you know, like, my mentions could be particularly ugly. I know yours can. And yeah. yes, am I comparing this to what Carson's going through? No, it's not apples to apples. But the point I'm making is, when you're someone that has criticism, it's thrown in your face, right? It's just hard to deal with. And I think your point about coming, you know, going from such a small pond to coming to Philadelphia, I think it has probably been a little harder on Carson than we maybe anybody wanted to realize. Because, again, I always think back to, I remember listening to Dave Spadaro. He was on WIP, I forget with, with who. And he said, Carson is already one of the top five Eagles of all time. And this was during the 2017 season. Now, we can argue if that's correct or whatever, but it just speaks to how he was viewed at that point. So he had so much success early on, he almost didn't really need to like come in here and change and figure out what works and figure out what doesn't because he had such instant success. And I think this last year and a half has maybe made the Eagles to a certain degree internally. And I would, I would hope him and probably some of, some of his teammates step back and say, okay, Carson, like, you're not, you're not 31. You're not, you haven't been in the league eight years. You've been, this is going to be your fourth year. Last year, he was entering his third year. Like, you, you don't know it all quite yet. Like, take a step back. And, you know, when you hear the word mature, I think sometimes people view that as a negative thing. And in certain connotations, it can be, especially with certain players. I think with Carson, there is a negative component to it. But the mature part of him is not, like, showing up to meetings on time, handling his money better, like, who he hangs out with. Like, that's not the maturing he has to do. 
I think when he says vulnerable and approachable, it's just kind of growing into your own skin. So, again, I think it was criticism from Doug, but I don't think it was, you know, the type of criticism where you're like, oh, my God, like Doug really came at him. And the only way that I can I can relate to Carson in a lot of different ways, as many of you know, maybe, and Elliot certainly knows, like I was born in Iowa. We moved to Philadelphia when I was in grade school and talk about culture shock. You know, like mm. you, you go from, yeah. hey, this is just – um, and the same thing. I was the star athlete on my baseball team. I get here. There's seven guys in front of me, and they're all the same and the, as me. And you're and that. And not only that, your first day of school when you walk in and you go, uh, "Can I get a pop?" And everybody looks at you like you're an idiot because they don't know what pop is. And they go, "Oh, it's soda around here, you dumbass." Well, and, that is a dumb phrase. <laughs> it is fair. not no, to bully you still, but that no, is. no, it is. And I eliminated <laughs> it from like the day one since since we moved. You know, out here with my family and everything, and that was that's a big difference. And then Jesus going back the other way is an even culture shock too, because you realize like the major differences of that. And Carson doesn't live in the city, or at least I'm not. He lives somewhere out in New Jersey, I'm assuming, somewhere yeah. you know, big land. And he was been hanging out with the offensive line and all that. Uh, it made me just go like, ah, it, you know, we we. We go back and forth so much on Carson, the football player, and we do this a lot because we're in the middle of the draft process too. Everybody's just a commodity, and the, you know what grade you are, and all that stuff. We get caught up in it, and everybody does, so we're all part of it. But that just made me t- step back for a moment and just be like, let's just look at the human element of this, and yeah. that's really why a lot of this stuff kind of came out in the first place, and probably people had a, a wrong interpretation of who Carson is as a person. It's like, oh, he's putting himself on a pedestal and, and whatever, when really he's probably just a lot more private than we give him credit for, a lot more shy than we give him credit for, and he just needs to be in the NFL and experience that a little more too. Uh, I also thought that Doug's big takeaway from that presser, and maybe you can clarify this for me too before I get into that, was – I remember him talking about the young wide receiver group, and he's excited about it. He said something along the lines of, "When uh, Mac Hollins is a hundred percent, you know, will yeah. be, well, was was that like he's still not ready, or he's going to be a hundred percent this year, and that's exciting because he can just step right into OTAs." So my interpretation of it was when you were like talking about kind of like going forward, Mac Hollins will be a hundred percent healthy. I didn't take away from it. Mac is still not 100%. Okay, I, mean, I, I, I that did might initially. Be, that might be the case, but I, I think he meant it more as when, you, when you're talking about the receivers going forward, Holland would be, he will now be 100%, which he was not last year. All right, somebody on Twitter corrected uh, that for me, so thank you to them for doing that as well. If you you say that's how it goes, then that makes me a, lo- a lot less worried about my Mac Collins takes. That's mainly what I was concerned about. But- yeah, well, I got news for you. Your Mac Collins takes are gone anyway, <laughs> so whether he's 100% or not, I don't think... Uh, that's really going to matter, but yeah. Uh, he did yeah, mention the corners, though, and I know this is this is the thing that we're going to fight about forever, especially when it gets in July um, and training camp. Like I'm still the most excited for the battle that is about to happen, but when asked about Maddox, he listed slot corner first and definitely mentioned uh, uh, LeBlanc being in there, too, in that mix between them. He also said I could see him on the outside and getting in the mix there as well. Did not mention Sidney Jones in the slot position, which to me is a very good thing. And then secondly, the the last thing off of his tongue was, and, and maybe we can find a, find a fit at him at safety if he needs to be there too. 
But to me, I think Maddox is your starting nickel, but I think he's in the mix to also start in the outside because, again, Darby's up in the air in terms of when he's going to be able to go. Jalen Mills is a little bit up in the air in, in terms of how fast he's going to be able to go and get in there. What was your impression of the corner talk when uh, when uh, chatting with Doug yesterday? My, my biggest takeaway was they're very high on, on uh, LeBlanc. I think he is going to be on the field in some way. Now, I think the issue is I think the pro, the cornerback they probably like the most is Maddox. So if they if they view him as a nickel, that obviously hurts LeBlanc. But I think they like both so much they'll figure out a way to get both on the field. It really wouldn't really wouldn't surprise me. Um, and I don't even know honestly what to call this role because they didn't really have one last year other than Malcolm, and he's not going to take Malcolm's spot. But just maybe like moving Maddox all around, like you know he'll like he'll play like 800, 900 snaps next year, and they'll be pretty evenly dispersed between a lot of roles. I could picture Maddox doing that, or maybe they just put him in nickel, but then you can't get LeBlanc on the field. Um, so that was one of my biggest takeaways that they're so high on those two. But again, and I know you might want to close your ears, John, but I do not think it was a good hour for Sidney Jones with <laughs> Doug Talk. Like, <laughs> did he not did not come away like, yes, we're excited for Sidney. I think when, you know, again, Doug talks for an hour. He says a lot of things. It's hard to take, like, the wording of everything he says. You know, he's allowed some slip-ups, right? But I do think there's a little bit of a Freudian aspect of when you're naming players, you name them in the order that you view them in your head. And I think mm-hmm. when you talk about positions, battles, and all that, just Sydney really didn't seem to come up very much, you he know. Just, like he, he was, he was about. under the uh, what the uh, the tier of uh, young guy that uh, has a lot to prove, right? Something like yeah. that, yeah. Right, which is not good. Going, I mean, I know he's going in his third year, and really, look, we don't have to get into a Sydney debate, but I, I just think it's going to be a really, really going to be a huge, huge off season for Sydney, and I don't know if they would trade him just because you did invest that second round pick in him. I mean. Maybe if you can get, I don't know, a low third, you kind of say like, okay, we'll just cut our losses. But uh, I, I think Sydney again, he's lucky Darby and Bills are hurt <laughs> because if they weren't, he would. I don't even just see a role for him. So uh, I think the, the injuries are going to help Sydney. Uh, but again, it's going to be a huge off season for him and training camp. I mean, they're not going to cut him, but you could really see Sydney become a guy like that just doesn't play. I know it's really early. We haven't even gone through the draft and we've uh, we're we're just thinking about first practices that are going to happen in May here, but what do you think is going to be the starting lineup in that secondary, at least for the corners? Like what do you what are you feeling right now? Uh I've seen a lot of people say like, "Hey, Darby's our good friend Stephen Lee thinks that you know Darby's a lock on the outside." I I think the only lock on the outside is Jalen Mills. Obviously, with health involved there, sure that might change. But I don't think Jalen is losing his spot. Um, I, what do you What do you make of of CB two? So, are we talking about what do I think the cornerbacks will look like if everyone's healthy, or what they will look like if when every, they first let, start OTAs? Uh, let's do one of both. If when you first start OTAs, what do you think is going to happen? So, when you first start OTAs, I don't think Darby or Mills will be out there. Correct. So, right. So then I would say Maddox on the outside, LeBlanc at nickel and Rasul Douglas on the other spot. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's well, him and, him and Sydney will be there right, kind of battling that two. out. Yeah. And I, I don't know who they'll give the edge to. I mean, they continually disrespect Rasul, so I would probably say Sydney. But, I mean, I think Rasul is clear. I mean, I know you're going to disagree with this, but I know think Rasul has clearly been the better player. So I would think he would deserve to be out there more. But um, it would be one of those two. And then, 
I mean, what, what do you it seems like you agree or what do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't really disagree with that. It's just, you know, it's it's hard to say anything else and the team views it that way. It's Sydney needs the show. <laughs> you know, like I, mm-hmm. as much as I'm still rooting for him and I think that he's got all the talent in the world, honestly, him being on the outside is probably the best thing that could happen to him and the fact that Maddox and LeBlanc did come along is a good thing. I mean, they started Sidney Jones in the nickel because he's unproven, right? And it was his first year coming off the injury, and you already have two guys that are starting on the outside, which, yeah, that could say something too. I mean, like he really didn't put any pressure on those two guys, but they kept him in the nickel primarily that was there. If he's fighting with Razul and Darby and Mills, I think that is the best thing for him to do. Again, it's I know the everybody has that – that, that kind of Washington U uh, curse that's going on with Markel Fultz, and they got all these guys that are mixed in here and whatever. But um, I, I really think that him being able to use the boundary line is something that is very comfortable for him. I think him just being in the nickel spot and learning it and picking up. I Again, I know I'm probably on the island with this one too, but picking it up as fast as he did and still play pretty well the first half of the season and the injuries and everything else and then played bad on top of that. Um, I it's it's hard. Like it is really hard. That's why I, I look at Avante Maddox and just say, my God. And they are. I don't know if you notice this too, but the Philadelphia Eagles Twitter account, anytime, anytime that Avante Maddox comes up, whether it's PFF or some other stat about him and coverage, they are sure to retweet that. Granted, yep. I mean, like it is. You would be doing that too because it's during the playoffs and you want to promote that anyway. But I think that says something as well. And I really do think that at the end of the day, he will be a starting corner. Uh, and, the, and forget Darby, forget Razul, forget Sidney Jones. I mean, you found him in the fourth round. He's played outstanding, and he's got a, a, still a bigger ceiling to grow. You can put him anywhere, but again, like I've always been saying, I just need him on the field at all times. And who knows? Maybe I'll be convinced that LeBlanc wasn't a flash in the pan, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have an, an amazing uh, secondary here. But July, what do you what do you think is going to happen? So one quick thing. The vibe I get is that the team is not very happy with Sydney, so I'm not sure that they're going to handle. Yeah, I get that too. Like, right when you talk about Rasul versus Sydney, like just the business side would say, well, Sydney is going to get that, right? I mean, he was a second round pick. You know, you can the health excuse was there, so they can justify it. But I just get the vibe they're really not going to hand him anything. Um, now, when you talk about July, the question is the real question is: Is Mills is going to be ready? I would think he would be, Doug kind of hinted at it a little bit during the breakfast. So I would think he'd be ready. So I would say Mills, Maddox on the outside, and LeBlanc on nickel, I think is what I would go with. What about you? Yeah, I think I think that's probably going to be how it ends up being. And I'm, I'm in for surprises. Like, that's the thing. I really can't say 100%, even, even like a wanting thing, I want Sidney Jones to start on the outside. Don't know if that's going to happen. You know, I. Well, I don't, do you think they'll trade any of them? That's the other wild card. <sighs> if it is, it's going to be towards the end of training camp, and honestly, I wouldn't. You know, I, I wouldn't if, either. If everyone is performing at a pretty great, a good level, um, and even great level, then there's no reason to go and do it. I even even if the organization is not too high on Sydney, he's fallen out of favor. Um, if he shows up and plays really well, but still doesn't have the starting job for whatever reason, there's no, you know, there's, hold on to him. You know, like it doesn't unless somebody is giving it like, all right, we'll give you a first round pick for him or whatever. There's always something that you'll say yes to. But uh, well, yeah. here's a question too. So 
let's say, I think it's safe to probably assume Darby will not be ready to start the training camp. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Right. And so uh, I, the last time we recorded this podcast, the Darby deal was still viewed as one year, 8.5. Now that's, that's really been taken down kind of to more like, you know, one year, like between three and five. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not, that's not exactly throw him in there no matter what money. But I don't think Darby would have come back here if he wasn't essentially assured that he was going to start, right? Because it's a one-year prove-it deal, and you can't prove yourself from the bench. Now, if he does not start week one, and, you know, Sidney's out there playing well, or Rasul, or Maddox, or whatever, and Jalen's out there playing well, the cornerbacks are playing well, do you still think they just put Darby in there? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, because that's just... What else is the point? <laughs> like, let him. Let him I think go. they like Darby a lot. Like, our feelings on him aside, I know you like him a little more than I do, but I think they like him a lot. I think Jim Schwartz loves him, loves him, and the same. Which is this- weird because he's not really a Jim Schwartz, Corey Unlin kind of guy. Like, like LeBlanc, Mills, Maddox, like they're more their guys. So they must see something in in, in uh, Darby, but. Um, yeah, I, I think he would go back out there. I think he's got the same kind of mentality that Mills and the rest do. Like it's, you know, well, he's not, he hates the tackle. Oh, well, yeah, he's not physical, but it's not it, it, the the fact of it, his makeup speed, the the pass breakups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I know it doesn't matter because everybody. That's the other thing too. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to that uh, the rules for a second because everybody was the the one thing that I wanted to pass, which is still didn't, uh, is the fourth and fifteen rule. You know, and I think it was they. They had labeled it as only in the fourth quarter to eliminate onside kicks. Uh, you can you can do it once. You'll place the ball on the thirty-five. It'll be fourth and fifteen, and you go get a shot. Now, why isn't that's the Greg Schiano rule, by the way? And it's been a proposed uh, forever, like since whenever he was the coach at Tampa Bay. That has been a reoccurring theme forever. And the reason why they won't do it is because it's going to take away jobs from special teamers and eliminate kickoffs mm-hmm. and do all that other stuff. But it'll make the game a lot more entertaining. Now, I have no problem if you do a fourth and 15 from the 20 either. But that is – I'm really mad that nobody wants that rule and everybody thinks it's dumb. And it's like, oh, man, he wouldn't – but, you know, the, the success rate. And then everybody goes, well, be careful what you wish for because the Jim Schwartz sticks defense. Like, guys, it was – Two fucking plays in, in the whole season yeah, where it was yeah. fourth and fifteen. Relax, I know it's the same joke over and over again. But why do you, is that the only thing you think why they they wouldn't pass that rule is because it'll take away from special teamers. The fact that you can get the, have a make it and take it rule in football would be highly entertaining, and I hate the onside kick. So I, I don't know. Do you think that's the only holdup? Well, I, again, kind of go to go back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. Like the the Eagles are a very forward thinking organization. They're very open to change and things that make sense. That's just not the case with other NFL owners. So it does not surprise me that they had, there was resistance to, you know, um, not putting the fourth and 15 thing in there. Uh, I just don't think owners are ready to make, I mean, that type of change. I mean, Lurie says he's been, Lurie said yesterday that he's been voting for years to overhaul the replay system. And the only thing they've now accomplished is that you're allowed to challenge uh, offensive and pass and defensive pass interference. So the NFL is just a slow-moving sport when it comes to change. Yeah. Um, the other thing Larry said I thought was interesting was that if it was up to him, there would be no coin toss in overtime. It would be whoever scored more touchdowns that game gets the ball, which I thought was like an interesting kind that's of way. Good, I like that. Uh, so my way would be rock, paper, scissors, shoot, because I feel like that's like a skill. But I mean, that's, <laughs> I know I'm not going to. Listen, I would gladly take a Rochambeau because you could have like – 
I don't know. Like John Durenbos seemed like he would have been a good Rochambeauer, you know. And and what the fuck are you saying, Rochambeau? That's, that's rock paper scissors, baby. It's the technical term, Rochambeau. Wow, I've never heard that. Oh man, there's Roche. I mean, that's a professional thing. Like people bet on that, and like you know. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, right. it's the next wave next to esports. It's going to be great. Yeah, I think it would be interesting because it would be like okay, Zach Ertz or somebody like you know he's. And that, let me think of a better example like Camus Gruzer Hill. Yes. Pretty good linebacker, but imagine on cut down day you're like, but he is very good at rock paper scissors shoot, and like he <laughs> he gives he gives us value if overtime comes. Like it was just you know like just a little something edge to give you give yourself a better chance of making the roster. Yeah, no, I would love that. The the uh, the just like oh my god, can you imagine the arguments we'd have? You knew he was going to throw scissors. You knew it. <laughs> exactly. Why didn't you just throw the rock? He's throwing you off. Uh, people right, like, trying to... like Dak throws rock every time, and yet they still went up there. Like it would, it would be amazing. Yeah, that would be really cool. I'm I'm, I'm very much down for that. But uh, you did mention that, and t- the most shocking thing to me is that 32 NFL coaches said no? We we definitely want to take a look at that, and then they amended it. And of yeah. course, the Bengals are the only one that are voted against it for whatever reason, just be, just because, I guess. But to, and and I, it's opened up a. I don't know. People have taken it a, a lot of weird, different ways. And congratulations to, to Sean Payton for finally winning something, I guess. And uh, but I, I mean, it's it's the right thing to do. And I just don't understand why you can't just make everything reviewable. You have I agree. You have three challenges. You can use them for literally anything you want during the game. Once they're out, they're out. Uh, and to me, at the end of the, and that's the way it has to be, either one way or no way. Like challenge everything or don't challenge anything. And mm-hmm. here's my hot take: we we hate corrections. We actually don't really like instant replay at all because it's just not entertaining. It doesn't give us anything to talk about to get the call right. How fun was it that the Saints got screwed over? Now we would hate it if we were the, <laughs> you know, uh, getting uh, getting that called against us. Here in Philadelphia, we'd be on it like every five seconds. It would be the most, you know, talked about thing for months and months and months, and we'd probably never get over it. But the parade in Philly would have been way bigger than the parade in New Orleans. Uh, yeah. I'll just say that. <laughs> and uh, I, I like bad calls. Okay, like I just, I just do. I, it, it's, it's fun. It's fun to argue about. Um, I to get called an idiot. Like, what are you looking at? Like, you're even worse than the refs, or vice versa. I love. The human aspect of all sports. Let's. I, I yeah, try to abstain sure. it as as much as possible. Yeah. Oh man, they got away with the hold. Yes. Yes. There's gamesmanship in all of that. There's gamesmanship in the NBA and trying to flop and get a call. The same way with pass interference and whatever. The only the only real issue I have with this is like it could. It is so open to interpretation. On if somebody wants to challenge something and be like, no, that really wasn't pass interference. I it like how do you solve that? You know, blatant ones are easy, but if somebody throws it and it's like, well, he does grab his arm, and it was a bang bang play, and it ends up being, it's already hard for the DBs already. So like, I don't. Well, know. My guess is the only ones that'll be challenged will be pretty blatant ones. That's just my guess, and I mean, they'll sure they'll probably be a I, handful this year. But I think they'll just go in and make the best decision they can like they, they can with all replays. Bill Belichick, if he's losing a football game with less than two minutes in the fourth quarter and maybe there's pass interference, is going to throw that flag no matter what. Every NFL coach should because what do you have to lose? You know, like, hey. Uh, that's- well, potentially a timeout. I, yeah, I, I guess so. But, I mean, like, if it's if it's your only 
you know, thing that you can kind of, oh, yeah, I actually didn't think about that. And I guess that's it's not an automatic thing. Like, it's not just sitting in your pocket. You still have to have a challenge left to do that, right? Because I, th- I my, my, my yeah. interpretation was the the booth can take over under two minutes, right? No well, matter what. Like with, yeah, like normal. Like, our, uh, within two minutes, you know, like, the replay can be triggered instantly. Okay. So, uh, I, 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 I'm not sure. I like that it's moving that way. I just wish that we just do... Do it with 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 everything and not worry about you know all the all these like little smaller details that make it more complicated. But I am sure we will find a way to bitch about it and or praise it and or uh, kind of whatever. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I noticed this week, and there's a, a lot of rumblings as it comes around now too, is people are meeting together and kind of understanding where uh, where everybody is picking what their top prospects are except uh, for the Cardinals apparently who haven't made a decision on the number one overall pick and only a couple of weeks away from the draft no big deal from that um I saw that you know you had mentioned on our last podcast that hey I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles tried to move up and go get a, a D-line guy and you had, had an article today on 94wip.com slash go birds suggesting a few players too which I'll have you break down as well and uh I uh, I saw Brian Baldinger um, mention something about the Eagles and the Colts basically want the same guy, and don't be surprised if they are you know kind of in a war or whatever. And then people in the thread mentioned uh, Wilkins, and I go, oh, that makes sense. And he all but kind of confirmed that, like, hey, that looks like it's you know it's Wilkins. And I was like, okay, did he? I didn't. Did he follow up tweet that or something? No, it was kind of a back and forth where like an Eagles fan was saying. Why would they? Why would they draft him when they just signed Jackson? That doesn't make any sense. Then somebody went back again and said, "Well, um, you know, if you play the three technique, that's basically a starting spot no matter what because of how much they rotate." And Baldy just goes bingo. So, so I, so I took that as, oh, okay, yeah. So it is might not be him, but it's definitely probably for a D lineman. At least that's how I interpret it. Uh, Is that kind of the sense you got when you first heard it? So. What's funny is my initial reaction was Josh Jacobs, but ah. not not because not because I think they will do it. Shout out that's to Jeff Mosier then, you know, if that's the case. Right. Well, yeah, no, right. I know Mosier thinks they really like him. I just, I don't think they're going to take a running back. Like today, n- not at all, but I, I mean, I don't think they're going to take a running back at 25. Th- this week, when Howie was asked about why he hasn't signed a running back yet, and, you know, he kind of gave the whole Aaron Rodgers, like, relax, we have sure. a lot of time, that sort sure. of thing. But one of the first things he said was, you know, when it comes to free agency, you want to stick to your philosophy and like what you really believe is an organization. And that was Malik Jackson. It was Deshaun Jackson. It was playmakers, right? It was the line. It was bringing back Vinnie Curry. It was bringing back Brandon Graham. They just don't value the running back position. So um, my initial reaction that was Josh Jacobs, I guess, was wrong. It seems like he's since confirmed with a defensive lineman. And that's what I think they're going to do. I think they're going to take a defensive lineman at 25, or I think they're going to move up. And one thing, too, I don't think enough Eagles fans realize, like, the Eagles can get up far based off of the picks that they have. Mm-hmm. They're willing to move both of those second-rounders, which wouldn't can... – well, I guess I would say would surprise me at this point because Howie and Lurie talked a lot about how they want to add more draft picks. But they have a lot of draft capital to move up if they want. Like, they can easily get into the top 15. So – I think it's a trade up is is very possible, and again, like that's what I've heard. I've heard they're interested in trading up. So um, I think that's you know who knows what's going to happen on draft night, but uh, I think Wilkins makes a lot of sense for them. And that's why you had mentioned too, you know, Quinn and Williams 
you know, don't be too surprised. You know, if that's if that's their guy and they want to invest more in that and get younger and get you know, twenty five, fifty three, and fifty seven, that'll get you that'll get you up there. Um, the question is how far he, he would have to drop a little. Like he would have to get to like seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And again, if quarterbacks go up there, it could happen. So I wouldn't rule it out, but you know. They have the capital to do it, for sure. Uh, Montez Sweat is another name, too, and they met with him officially, according to the NFL Network. Um, and, of course, you know he was the star of the Combine, and people had a lot of questions on what he is, and it's still, the, the debate is still raging on, but I would be very happy with that. Uh, Wilkins, we already mentioned. Then you mentioned Cody Ford, too, and, you know, Oklahoma tackle bias at that point. But I, I <laughs> really think everybody now, after – Watching him for for a while and understanding why so high, he really looks like a guard to me because I don't I didn't really see him as moving over to left tackle. I don't even think he's played a snap uh, over there unless I have that wrong. You guys can correct me on that uh, or not. But I mean, uh, Cody Ford being like a solidified huge guard, and then uh, you know, based on really on uh, on uh, Sale Mahler's deal. <laughs> You know, I mean, that could easily turn into a backup role, backup, you know, mm-hmm. starter role for him. So uh, that is uh, is fine with me, too. I like all the guys that you have there. I think it's trenches. And that's and the running back thing is as much as I am 100 percent, you need a guy. We all know that we're all frustrated by it. And yes, that's going to happen there. Like how he's right. And on top of that, like signing a guy like Coleman or signing C.J. Anderson, who for some reason people are like dying to go get right now, yeah, is, really what it's come to, is not going to really help your football team as much as we think it is. It's a name. It's somebody that we've seen on Sundays. Uh, the Rams' offensive line did a spectacular job for both him and Todd Gurley, and I'm not taking away C.J.'s mm-hmm. performance either. He had a really great year. I'm, you know, but his track record speaks for itself. Coleman's track record speaks for itself. Don't go get another broken piece. You and I have both been on the same page. Like, yeah, if you want to do. Jordan Howard or if you want to do Duke that's fine like that to me is a better situation than signing a guy potentially losing out on maybe a fourth round pick a comp pick from Jordan Hicks and or the rest like I don't I don't think any of those things uh, or running backs are worth it when you put it in that context either like if I sign this guy am I possibly also losing out on a fourth rounder or a fifth rounder or a third rounder or however the formula kind of breaks down and yeah i mean especially then then it makes it even easier uh to just say like let's just wait for the draft and honestly that's what they're going to do they're not going to select a running back until this day three again and they might take two of them that's my early impression on this um and wait and see you know there unless you are and there isn't really in this draft class the the i i am the number one running back type of guy because everybody's all over the place then just wait. You just have to wait, and it and it's and it sucks. But I would rather have a, a sweat, a Ford, a Wilkins to entrench that line. And listen, Fletcher Cox is not getting any younger either, and he's making a lot of yeah. money. And the first year that they could attempt, which they won't, but I'm just saying, contractual wise, is next year, and you have to start building that way. And it's the most important position. So. Yeah, just relax on running backs and make sure that Carson Wentz throws a shitload of touchdowns to everybody. And the one line, the one line they clearly had ready to go for this weekend was the three running backs into the Super Bowl were added after the draft line. Like yeah. Doug said it, Howie said it, I think Lurie even said it. Like yeah. they were like they found that out and they were like, okay, this is our talking point. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. Like if if you can again, Corey Clement, right? Take him for example. If Corey Clement had been with another team. 
and had had the game he had in the Super Bowl and was a free agent now, Eagles fans would be like, why aren't you signing Corey Clement, right? So I think there's just a little bit of bias when it comes to just new guys because you're yes. so sick of the guys you kind of have. Um, but look, if they wanted Mark Ingram, they would have Mark Ingram. He only made $5 million a year. They have $25 million a year. If they wanted Tevin Coleman, they'd have Tevin Coleman. Now, they clearly just valued those guys at lesser money than they got paid. Because if you're either of those guys, you would rather come to Philadelphia, right? Better offense, all those things. Better quarterback. So, um, yeah, I think they just they don't value it. Like, I was down for signing Le'Veon Bell because Le'Veon Bell is a difference maker. I would pay money for Le'Veon Bell. You're not going to get a difference maker at this point at running back unless you buy low on a guy like Jordan Howard and he bounces back or you find a diamond in the rough in the draft. But they're never going to invest big resources in running back. They're just not. Yeah, and there is more than just the first round. And if they don't mm-hmm. take a running back or a linebacker, which they're not going to, that's okay. You know, like just it's... It's a smart thing to do. Yes, yes. It's just the how the league is and... Because um, the other thing, so Howie said this weekend, uh, sorry, I keep saying this weekend, but Howie said this past week that when it comes to signing Carson to a big deal, that means they're going to have to have young players and they're going to have to have guys, essentially, he didn't say this, but those are reading between the lines, that are at bargain prices. And if you take a guy running back at 25, he will be not paid as amongst like, the top five running backs, but he will be a well-paid running back for that spot because running backs don't make a lot of money. If you find a defensive tackle at 25, if you find a defensive end at 25, if you find a cornerback at 25, and that player turns into a stud, you're talking about a savings in for three or four years of like $30 million versus what they'd be worth on mm-hmm. the open market. So you have to take that into consideration, too, that if you're going to sign Carson this big deal, you need value on your roster, and the Eagles are not going to get that by taking a running back at 25. Uh, no, they're not. And... Uh... Uh, we'll just have to kind of wait and see what their plan is. And I, again, I even though it was a line, I would still wouldn't rule it out in the middle of the year if nothing is happening and they know you need to go find the next JJ. And honestly, those talks are still going on too. And if that's what you have to do for right now, then fine. You know, I mean, it it did work. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. you needed Legarrette Blunt, but whatever. I mean, that's that's going to be a at the all- end of the day, it's just going to matter what Carson does. Exactly. If Carson plays like he's capable, it will not matter at all who's that running back. That's if right. it comes down to they need a running back, then you got way worse news on your hand because yeah. on your hands because that means Carson's not playing well. Yes. Um, also, just uh, I I don't I I absolutely love this. By the way, I love that players are kind of taking their own reins. On, uh, on on what does and does not get out and information mm-hmm. or whatever. And Antonio Brown recording his own yep. conversation for his new podcast, apparently, of the, the decision on what he thought, or Drew Rosenhaus, that is, was going to happen and where he was going to end up. And, of course, the Eagles are in the, in the discussion. And, I mean, Jesus. I mean, uh, two firsts, he says. Two firsts to get into discussion. And I don't know to get into the lead at some point. Uh, and then I think I heard Adam Schefter on NFL Live or somewhere saying the Eagles didn't, you know, they made their calls, but they their their interest wasn't as as heavy. And, man, like, it's it's amazing to hear Antonio Brown going back and forth and being like, yeah, the, the Bills, don't even worry about it. <laughs> I, you know, Washington right. was in the mix, too. Um, and just it was it was a nice behind the curtain of like, yeah, this is this is how those discussions go. And 
it, it, to me, Elliot, like the, ju- the Steelers driving up the price on contenders and lowering the price for p- teams that they obviously knew weren't going to contend with them, I thought was was pretty interesting because it sounded like the well, Patriots and Eagles wanted to pay more, but the Steelers weren't going to deal with that, and then they priced them out, and you land in the middle, and you're going, okay, the Raiders can give us picks. It fits with his contract. He wants to be there. It's the best quarterback situation with the rest of the group, you know, minus the Eagles and Patriots mm-hmm. and all that, and you just decide on that. So my, my takeaway from listening to the Antonio Brown Rosenhaus thing was in addition to it being awesome, right? Like it's awesome to hear that type of behind the scenes stuff, but was that, you know, everyone, I know Rosenhaus said it's going to take two ones to get him, right? I know that's what he said. And when he said that, I believe that was probably true, but he ended up also saying more importantly, the Raiders are going to trade you to the team that gives you the best package. Now, obviously, the contract can do it that as well, because the team had to then be willing to give him the contract. So this whole idea, because I put out there yesterday, would you have rather given up a three and a five and three years, 50 million for Antonio Brown, or the six and three years, 27 for Deshaun? And everyone said, well, it was going to take two ones. It wasn't going to take two ones. That was just at the time what it said. I believe that if the Eagles wanted Antonio Brown, the trade compensation would have been less. The issue was just the money. But overall, you mentioned Schefter saying they were just making their calls. Like, I respect Schefter more than anyone else. Follows me on Twitter. Please don't unfollow me, Schefter. <laughs> but, like, I think that's a little more damage control than what Drew Rosenhaus said, what he believed was going to be private to Antonio Brown, which is I think the Eagles were really interested. I think that they, they – look, they, they traded for Deshaun, so they were clearly looking for a receiver. And I think Howie's always going to be aggressive. He's always going to be looking bad, guys. He said this past week he has no problem adding older guys because he wants instant impact. So I think they were very interested in Antonio Brown, for sure. And that's what Drew Rosenhaus said. Yeah, and and impact guys like that, too. Not like seeing that people looked at it and it was like, oh, man, you guys made fun of the Giants for basically saying the same thing when it's a difference between like a journeyman 31-year-old like safety that's coming in there and one of the best wide receivers in the league, if not the best wide receiver. the Eagles are trying to win right now. The Giants are going to be terrible. Yeah, and they're trying to like, I don't know what they're doing, but this just came out too as we're recording. This is Eli Manning for the Giants QB in 2020. John Mara and Steven Tisch didn't rule that out. So keep on, Perfect. keep the hits coming. Yeah, I, uh, I to answer your question, uh, I still say Deshaun because of. And that I think is, that would probably lead Deshaun, lean Deshaun too. I guess just because of the lesser comp, uh, trade compensation and the money and all yeah, that. Yeah, but I definitely think it's a discussion. Oh, it is. A, it is. A, I mean, if you literally, if it is just that, like if they could have gotten him for a third and the fifth, then I'd probably lean Antonio Brown. I mean. You know, right. but I, I still don't. I still don't buy that's that's what it would have cost the Eagles. I think it would have been a, at least a second rounder, you know, for for that particular team. And then they they probably couldn't find anything to move on from that. It makes sense to me. You don't give away your best player, or one of your best players, to a Super Bowl contender to then go win the Super Bowl. Like that's just not smart either. Because yeah, they were face they were never going to get two first round picks. Not two because first, they got but a three I'm just and a five. So no, like, but but I'm, but I'm saying even just like you said, even if that price came down. Like, okay, not two firsts, a first, and how he goes, no, I'm not, we're still not doing that. We got to pay this guy. And they go, okay, a second and a fourth and a whatever and a kicker. And they're like, no, nah, we still can't do that. Like, if it was just, we're already paying the freight on that. We're not going to give up the draft capital because there are a lot of other things. Just like you said right now, what if you want to turn that into Wilkins? What if you want to turn that into Williams, Ford, et cetera, et cetera? That's more of an investment in ammo to go get one of those guys that you're probably going to have 
for five years, hopefully more. And mm-hmm. you know, you got to pay them at the end of the day too. So I, I, that's why I say Deshaun, and I'm, I'm fine with it. And hopefully, Carson and this this ragtag bunch is fine with it too. Because uh, I, I, I will just say this in closing: this made me. And it's probably because it was calculated, just like you were saying, Elliot, that I I feel so much confidence about Carson Wentz's year coming up and more excitement, honestly, more than anything. And it's caused me to go back again just to not remind myself, but to make sure like that is what we saw. And that wasn't a fluke and that wasn't anything. And to remind myself of how good Carson Wentz is and how good actually his deep ball is. And I don't understand that myth that's just been all of a sudden worked itself right back into the, into the conversation with, you know, things that Carson Wentz can't do. But to me, it made me feel uh, a, a lot more confident in, in Carson and what they're going to do um, because they all felt optimistic about his back and whatever, how he threw in the Hippolaw law thing. And uh, that's a whole other different topic, but I came away is feeling feeling really good about uh, where they're at and what they're planning well, on hopefully doing in the draft here. Their messaging worked on you, John, so that's good. Their mission accomplished for them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't I don't feel that way. You do, I, and I don't want to mean that I feel negative about it, but uh, I don't have that same type of confidence you do. So so we'll see. I mean, I think again, it, it's a huge wild card, and you don't want a wild card at quarterback. Carson Wentz could be NFL MVP next year. Or they could go seven and nine. Like it could be either or. But I just don't think you know what you're getting from Carson next year. Uh, well, we'll have to. I'm, I ended on that. I would just. <laughs> I would just like to say I would. I'll place a bet. Let's see. It's two fifty one p.m. March twenty seventh, year of our Lord two thousand nineteen. I'm gonna say by mm, August fifth that Elliot changes his mind about Carson Wentz. That's my I guess. guarantee you I won't because it's training camp and Sam Bradford already burned me once with training camp performances. <laughs> now, if you told there me if be- you would have said week three, then maybe yes, I would agree. I'm open to changing my mind quickly because, as you said, we've seen him play really well before. But I guarantee you in training camp, I will not fall off of my stance of you don't know what you're going to get from him in the regular season. Okay, I'll, I'll even take the date off. The first time that it is 11 on 11, and Carson okay. Wentz throws a touchdown to Deshaun Jackson, and it's a fucking frozen rope. You're going to change your mind, and so is well, everybody right, let, else. Let me say this: I will say I was going to tweet this this morning, but I pulled back because I thought it was thirsty. <laughs> but you saying you saying that, like, I just can't wait for training camp. Yes, live live training camp tweets. The Ravens are coming. There's so much to talk about. Carson, like. It's going to be phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Very excited. Can't believe we forgot that. It's going to be, what, the third third week of uh, training camp that the Ravens... I, I don't know. I was thinking about that. I feel like they've done it the third week before, but maybe second or third. Yeah. Yeah. Think. And hey, guess what? The uh, Eagles are going to play the uh, Ravens in the preseason. So there you go with that. There you go. It'll uh, be in Philly. Should be entertaining. It's actually... I'm really looking forward to not because of the Eagles stuff, but... Get uh, get my first taste of up close and personal Lamar Jackson. So that's going to be a lot of fun too. Yeah, you're right. That'll be good. Uh, that'll do it, Elliot. Uh, stay safe, stay sober, kind of sober, and uh, we'll see you back on Saturday. We're actually going to be at uh, the Mayfair Business District, our live remote one to three. John Rich will be there too. I think there's an actual opportunity I can run the forty there. 
because it's it's the it's a combine for kids. So if you have kids, come out. Uh, Jay Feely is oh, going to be there God, as well. Yeah, I, I will. I will definitely do that if they have that available. Um, Wait, can I uh, can I drop my taco tick? Oh yes. Oh God, I forgot. And and uh, is it because you're out there that you? Yes. Okay. I'm out here. Yeah. Hit me with it. All right. Ready. Ready. Uh, hard shell tacos are not tacos. They're just a worse version of nachos. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. First of all, right. I, I'm a proponent of hard tacos and soft. I, I, I like them both. I mean, like, I'm a big fan of the flour and the corn tortillas. I also do a lot of weird shit with mine and people get upset about it. Uh, but I don't think that's right at all. Just worse hard nachos. Hard tacos break right away. You can't really enjoy what's in them. You basically just end up picking the stuff up with the, the broken taco shell, which is very similar to nachos. Soft shell tacos. How do you eat just, tacos that they break like that all the time? Or what shells are you using? First of all, um, maybe you, maybe shitty ones, but yeah, whatever shell gotta, I'm using, I can tell you break pretty quickly. If you're if you're just in a pinch and you want to go to the store, go. You got to get the standing stuff, standing stuff uh, taco shells where it's got the wide base. That's like so you can fit everything mm, in. And nah, I think it would still break. It's a little thick. No, they still. I mean, of course they're going to break. They're. Ta- I mean, it's just what happens. But it stays together it doesn't fall apart like it's like 70 pieces of of taco shell on your plate it's not how it should be if you want to accuse me of being a uh, a nacho sandwich lover <laughs> i'm all about it i mean it stays together a lot better so all right you can uh, you, you can tweet uh, elliot shore parks at james seltzer uh for all your complaints and actually my complaints too it's just at James Seltzer. We appreciate everyone tuning in to Go Birds 61 for LA Shore Parks down at the owners' meetings. I'm John Barchard here in Philadelphia. And uh, thank you for listening right here on radio.com and sports radio 94 WIP. Go Birds.